question is, is Easter a lie? I don't believe it is, and I just want to share with you quickly why I don't think that it is. And go ahead and keep your Bible open, because we're, we're going to kind of look at it as we go, or at least you can glance at it. I was excited to see one of our Facebook watchers is here. She's about the fifth row back, if you could just wave right there. She's faithfully watched on Facebook and finally got to meet her. So that's awesome. And you know what? If, if, yeah, yeah. We go live uh, every Sunday if you want to like our page and it'll alert you. But John chapter 20 says, Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, that's John by the way, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over. Looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. How many of you know that you wouldn't go into no tomb either? You know what I mean? Could be a dead person there. No wonder he just kind of... I don't know about y'all, but I, I wouldn't be looking in no grave. So that's why he's peeking in, right? Then the brave one, Simon Peter comes, who was behind him, arrived and he went into the tomb. Brave soul. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples who reached the tomb first also went inside. Watch this. He saw and believed. Now it says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. That's important. Father, in the name of Jesus, help every listener to hear clearly. Help the communicator to commute crisply. And Father God, I just pray that you change lives today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but as a pastor, as a Christian, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I absolutely love Easter. And for most of you, it's not like you don't know what we're going to talk about, right? I mean, you come in here, you know what I'm going to say, right? And I understand now why people who only show up on Easter and Christmas never come back. Because it seems like it's the same message that we preach over and over and over again. Why do I want to go to that church? It's the same message every year. So for those of you uh, who are here this morning and, and you are contemplating this thing called faith, Easter is probably the best time that I could think of, the perfect weekend for anybody and everybody who's at least considering putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you may be here today thinking, you know what, I could get into this. I could get into the singing and the hooping and the hollering. And I could believe this. I, I think I could even understand it. And, and, and But pastor, how do I seal the deal? What do I need to do to take that step of faith? And we're going to share that with you towards the end. But I just want to prove to you that Easter is not a lie. 
And another thing that I like about Easter is that, you know what, you have people that are walking in here and I'm telling you, I can feel it. You're sitting there and you got both feet on the brakes, baby. I mean, you ain't going to budge. It don't matter what that pastor says. I ain't giving my life to Jesus. And some of you here, the only reason you're here is because mama promised to feed you lunch, okay? Some of you here because there's free Easter portraits. Like, really, they roped us into the service and are going to tell us, yeah, we did that. And you got both feet on the brakes going, I, I, I'll sit through it just to get my pictures, but, but I'm not going to become a Christian. But see, I believe Easter is the best time to consider it. I believe it's the best time for somebody to get up here and address all of your obje- objections. And here's what I mean. Even if you've never considered Jesus... Even if you've never considered this thing that we call the church, even if if you're like, this is not my thing, and you may be in here and your arms aren't physically crossed, but your heart is crossed and you're just tuning me out, I would just like for you to challenge, I would challenge you just to listen to me just, just for about... 40 minutes, maybe 30 minutes if I can talk fast and you can listen fast. I just want you to consider for a moment the possibility of accepting Jesus Christ, even though you know some Christians. And I think that's important. I know a lot of rotten, nasty Christians, okay? But I still consider Jesus even though I knew those dirty, rotten scoundrels. Although maybe you work for a Christian and they're not so nice and they don't pay you well, I still want you to consider Jesus. Maybe you're in this room and you married a Christian and you don't really like them even though you're married to them. I still want you to consider Jesus. Don't be lying in church now. Even if you hang around a bunch of them and don't like them, still consider Jesus. Despite the fact that everybody in the community thinks Christians are hypocrites, I still want you to consider Jesus. Despite the fact that you've had a bad church experience and that pastor did you wrong and that person did you wrong, still consider Jesus. Even though you have pain in your life, consider Jesus. I know God hasn't answered some of your prayers. And I know you lost your mama and she was a great Christian. And you lift up your fist to heaven and go, God, how could you take her? I still want you to consider Jesus. In spite of all of your questions that even I can't answer, and you probably won't even get them answered in this lifetime, would you please just listen to this old Georgia boy that has come by to tell you a little bit about Easter. Because see, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ simply because Easter is not a lie. And here's some of the great news for you. The foundation of Christian faith is not Christians. Well, I didn't know that. The foundation of Christian faith is not a behavior change. The foundation of Christian faith is not about this and it's not about that. It's not about answered prayers. It's not about we know all the answers. The foundation of Christian faith is what we celebrate on this day. And I call it basically... The mystery of history. See, I know Easter is not a lie because Easter addresses something that there is no plausible explanation for. 
Easter addresses why is there still a church in existence today? And I want you to really think about that. There are millions and millions and millions of people all over this world, everywhere on this weekend, celebrating a Jewish carpenter who did not go public, and when he did, he only did it for three years. They are celebrating a man who never traveled any further than 30 miles from his home. They're celebrating a man that that he, he never wrote a physical book, He never gave a speech that was recorded on TV. And then on this weekend, hundreds of people, thousands of people gather in his name, lift up their hands, sing similar songs, and they have dedicated their lives to this man by the name of Jesus. And can I tell you, there is no plausible explanation of why that happened except of what we celebrate on Easter. I want you to think about it this way. Do you know that even 300 years after Jesus was crucified, there was no Bible? None. Even after Jesus is crucified, nobody held a Sunday school. Nobody got up in front of a public crowd like this and said, turn to your Bibles to John chapter 20. They didn't do that. Matter of fact, they didn't even have the first New Testament until 400 years after Jesus was sacrificed. So how in the world did the church survive that? How did the church survive the Jews that saw Christianity as a knockoff cult to Christianity? As a matter of fact, the Romans even tried to squash, along with the Jews, this movement that was called the way. They tried to stomp it out. They tried to stop uh, uh, Christianity. And, And here today, there is no Roman Empire. And today, there are more Christians than there are Orthodox Jews. How do you explain it? Because here's what's not a mystery. What you have to understand, it's not a mystery how things begin. It's not a mystery how religions begin. It's not a mystery how causes and movements and changes of culture begin. Because, I don't know if you know this, but people get paid big bucks to study the science of how culture change. How, how, how nations shift from one thing to another. There are great scientists that have got it down and said, this is the reason why this happened. And here's what happens. Generally, there is an unrest in a city. There's unrest in a nation. There are factions. There are divisions. There is unrest. And and all of a sudden, this charismatic leader rise up. And usually the charismatic leader is a man. He begins to surface and he begins to say things and he begins to craft sentences and he begins to say statements that all of a sudden resonate with your heart. And you look at your wife like, I've been trying to say that for years. He's saying exactly how we feel. We're going to follow that guy. And then all of a sudden change begins. A movement begins because these leaders introduce things that go against the status quo. Because they're bringing change. Then you have this old group of people who are like, No, we're melting. We don't want change. 
Then you have this populace. These people are like, yeah, bring on the change, baby. And we overturn the status quo. And new ways and new thinking and new philosophy is ushered in. And this person that led the whole group is a hero and a legend. And everybody rallies around them and they look to them. And in every case, the person dies. And when they're at the burial Burying the person. They're like, we got to keep this dream alive. We got to keep this movement alive. We got to carry forward these ideas to the next generation and the next generation and next generation. And scientists have nailed it down that this happens all the time. Don't believe me? Look at Islam. Look at the story of the prophet Muhammad. The prophet Muhammad surfaced in an Arab nation in a time where they were worshipping idols. They were worshipping so many gods they didn't even know which god was which. But in 610 AD, after Jesus Christ, this young man went into a cave. All of a sudden, supposedly this angel came and talked to him and began to tell him a little bit about God. And he went out and he shared it with his mom and dad. And they're like, ooh, this is pretty good. You ought to share it with the village. So he shared it with the village. And the village like, oh, this is pretty good. Why don't you share it with the nation? And he shared it with the nation. And it grew and it grew and it grew so large that he now had an army. And all the Arabs turned from worshiping idols to worshiping a single God because he introduced a big theological term called monotheism, which is the worship of one God. And then all of a sudden, the religion of Islam Islam was born. Then in 632 AD, 600 years after Jesus Christ, Muhammad died of natural causes. But his followers said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We got to keep this going. We got to keep his teachings going. We got to keep this movement going. We got to keep the view of God going and further it. So Islam became a religion. And, And to me, the science of it makes sense. In more recent times, we have what's called the civil rights movement. We're all familiar with the civil rights movement. There was unrest in our country, divided over racism. All these white people were trying to figure out, what in the world are we going to do? These African Americans are wanting rights. Well, you know what? They well deserve the rights, and I thank God today that we gave them the rights. But we had a bunch of the old status quo going, no, we're not going to give them rights. And the new movement saying, yeah, we want the rights. And guess who emerged? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Even though many other leaders emerged, it was something about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was a charismatic leader. He knew how to communicate. He crafted sentences. He crafted words. And he began to give speeches. And he began to talk to the heart of the people. And and, and you know what? He, He took old ideas and made them new because all he said was no violence, no violence, no violence. He said this movement that we're going to have is absolutely going to be a no-violent movement. And then guess what happened? People rallied behind him. But tragically, in 1968, he died from some violence. And there was the end of the movement. 
But men and women that were impacted by his philosophy, impacted by his his teachings, they said, we're going to rally behind this. The civil rights movement kept on. This nation is now changed for the better because of it. But there was still a status quo that didn't want it. But there was a movement that did. And that story to me, scientifically, makes sense. But if you were to take the same pattern and you try to transpose it to the story of Jesus Christ, it does not work. In fact, any reputable historian would say you cannot take what changes cultures and nations and start religions and apply it to Christianity. And that's why it's history's greatest mystery. Because a tiny handful of Jesus followers somehow in the first century survived the Roman Empire, survived Judaism, and multiplied to the point that now all over the world we have little churches. Here, 2,000 years later, they're everywhere. And the question is, how did it happen? Because the how does not match the science. It does not match how you explain a movement that changes history. And the reason it doesn't fit, the reason that it doesn't work, to view the rise of Christianity like we view the rise of everything else, is the problem was, Jesus' message was the problem. Jesus' message was the problem. Because Jesus didn't come to advocate any liberation. He didn't come as a revolutionary. His message was not, I'm going to liberate a group of people from all the hardship that you're in. His message wasn't, hey guys, let's start a revolution. Let's turn over the status quo. Let's do something new. Now, you had people from time to time was like, nope, nope, you're starting a kingdom. You're a bad little man. And he's like, well, I hate to disappoint you, but no, I'm not starting a kingdom because my kingdom is of heaven. It's not even of this earth. So I don't even know what you're talking about. Pilate, the ruler of that time, even brought Jesus on trial, brought him out before the people and said, seriously, guys, I can't accuse the man of anything. He's not a revolutionary. He's not introducing some kind of new idea that's going to overturn the status quo or threaten the foundation of our order. Even in Judaism, they tried to trap Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Look here, guys. I'm not overturning the Jewish law. I'm not overturning any Jewish tradition. I'm here to keep the law. And the law is good. And you should keep the law too because it's written by God. In fact, Jesus took the Jewish law and actually raised the standard. Because the Bible says do not murder, but Jesus said if you even hate somebody in your heart, it's as good as murder. So he raised the bar. Jesus was not rebellious. Jesus had no talk of liberation. He wasn't a revolutionary introducing anything new. And the other problem with Jesus' message, it was all about Jesus. It was all about him. And no other person in history was the movement or the message about them. 
He never asked his followers to follow ideas or to follow parables. Never once did he say, hey, put your trust in these ideas. Hey, put your trust in these principles. Hey, put your trust in this revolutionary movement. Instead, he looked at everybody and he said, put your trust in me. And this is what makes the rise of Christianity absolutely explainable. Itself for what we celebrate on Easter. Matter of fact, one day, Jesus and his disciples were in a city. And Jesus said, I know all of you know Caesar, but who do you say that I am? And Peter looked at him and said, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus didn't say, whoa, Peter, Lord have mercy, you're going way too far, son. No, 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 I ain't that. He didn't say those things. He said, you are correct, Peter. I am the son of the living God. And the only way that you know that is God told you that. Even when Jesus walked into the public eye, John the Baptist didn't look at him and point and say, oh, here's the guy that's going to tell us about the lamb. He's going to tell us about how sins are forgiven. No, John the Baptist pointed at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen to me. The problem with Jesus' message was the message was not about ideas. Jesus' message was about Jesus. As a matter of fact, one day... Jesus gets some word from some good friends that his, his buddy Lazarus is sick and dying. So Mary and Martha, the sister, sends these messengers to Jesus. Now Jesus waits a while and Lazarus does die. And finally when he shows up to the scene, Mary and Martha at two different times say, very, say something very similar and said, Jesus, why did you allow our brother to die? Like many of you say, Jesus, why did you let this happen in my life? It's so hard to believe in you that you didn't stop this and you didn't stop that. And what's extraordinary about Jesus is he does not. He does not go to Mary and Martha and go, I want to explain to you about life after death. He doesn't say, hey, this is how the resurrection works. This is how people die and and this is where they're going to go. He doesn't explain ideas. He looks at both of them and says the same thing. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not here just to tell you about it. I'm not here to explain it to you. I am the resurrection and the life. This was not about, hey, believe in my ideas. This was not, hey, take my parables and believe in them. It was not about, hey, here's some things that you can really use in church theology. He said, he who believes in me shall live and have life eternally. So the problem with Jesus' message according to science is that Jesus was the center of the message. And this wasn't the only time. He's having a conversation about God with his disciples. And the disciples are like, show us God, show us God. And Jesus didn't go, well, here's another parable to explain God. Or, hey, look at that tree and this is how God is. Jesus looks at his disciples and said, when you've seen me, you have seen God. When you've seen me, you have seen God. Never once did Jesus and never once did any of his followers... Indicate that Jesus came to leave us a collection of insights. Or to leave us a collection of parables. 
are to leave us a collection of principles to pass on to the next generation. Jesus was never liberating. He was never revolutionary. He didn't try to launch something new. He didn't overturn anything. He just kept talking and talking and talking about himself. Why is that important? Listen to me good. When Jesus died, because it was all about him, all of the hopes died with him. When Jesus died, there wasn't one person standing at the cross going, Our leader's dead. Let's take the teaching and let's keep this thing alive. Since Jesus was so much the center of his teaching, there was nothing to pass on to the next generation. There was no teaching that would have made sense to the death of Jesus. Because when Jesus died, nobody believed his message. When Jesus died, no one took him seriously. When Jesus died, there wasn't a leader there to celebrate and say, Here we go, we're moving forward, we're taking this movement into the city. In fact, if you read the Bible, when Jesus died, all of his followers abandoned him. All of them ran and abandoned him. And this is why it's important. See, y'all have jobs. And y'all don't think about these things. So you pay me to think about these things, okay? His closest followers abandoned him. Watch this. And when they bring us the story, they present themselves as cowards. Who does that? If I was going to write a fictitious story about me, baby, I'm going to be the hero of that story. I'm going to be able to leap over tall buildings in a single bound, amen? But they're like, we were wimps and we ran. Who does that? You don't do that stuff. And here's the deal. The very people who brought us the Bible... When they were talking about Jesus, they admit when he was arrested, they ran away. Even Peter, the one who said, you are the son of the living God. He was around a campfire with a little 14-year-old schoolgirl, And she said, hey, do you know Jesus? Like, nope, don't know him. Because when Jesus died, all of the hopes died with him. And that is important, church. It's important because Easter solves history's greatest mystery. Listen, when Jesus was arrested, his followers lost faith. Because when he died, the movement died. Understand there were no Christians at the cross. There were no Christians at the crucifixion because Messiahs don't die. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. Sons of God can't be killed. And Jesus said, I am the Son of God. Resurrection and life can't be crucified. And he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. So the question is, how in the world are Christians here today? 
How is it that one third claim to call on his name and call him the Lord of our life? How is it this crazy thing that people get up every Sunday, walk into a church building, how is it still going on and survived the first century? Well, it's Easter, y'all, that solves history's greatest mystery to prove that it's not a lie. Because the Bible says early on the first day of the week why it was still dark. Jesus had been crucified. Two men wrapped his body in linen, put him in a tomb, rolled a stone over the grave opening, and two Roman soldiers that you would never be able to get past stood guard at that tomb. And early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, we read that Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, saw the tombstone had been removed from the entrance. She comes running to Peter and John and said, Watch this. They have taken him. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where he is. We don't know where they put him. And that is so important. Because Mary Magdalene didn't run down to the empty tomb and go, He is risen! He is risen! She didn't start singing no song. Her faith, her hope had died because Jesus had died. So as the music comes, nobody was standing outside the tomb going, Ten... Oh, this is going to be good. Nine. Are y'all ready? Eight. Seven. Six. There was none of that. There was no tailgate party. There was no float. There was no band. There were no people standing around going, we can't wait to see the risen Savior. And the people that brought us the resurrection story honestly admit that when Jesus died, they thought that he was going to stay dead. So when the women found the empty tomb, they did not think resurrection. They thought somebody stole his body. Even the disciples responded in many of the Gospels that said they did not even believe the women. To to them, it sounded like nonsense. And listen, when the men came running, they didn't even say, praise God, it's a resurrection. They thought the women were crazy. They thought the women had the wrong tomb. They were thinking, you can read it in other gospels, it says, this is nonsense. See, Peter and John started from the tomb. John beats Peter. To the tomb, probably because he wrote the book. He, he says, I outrun Peter. But he, 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 these are things I think about, y'all. But he sees the strips of linen lying there. Now, of course, we read he doesn't go in. But what I love is that when Peter comes to the tomb, he goes in, he sees there the strips of linen that wrapped his body. The strips of linen that was on his head. And the Bible says they saw and believed. Here they are. They spent years following Jesus. And they finally believed. Believed in what? 
It wasn't the teaching. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the crucifixion. They believed because the tomb was empty. And here's these Jesus followers. And now all of a sudden they start thinking, okay, we've got to re-engage with the message of Jesus Christ. Not because of his parables. Not because he died on the cross. Jesus' followers re-engage with the message because they saw the living Jesus walking and talking. Prophet Muhammad ain't. Dr. Martin Luther King ain't. But they saw Jesus with their eyes and they believed. After Jesus rose from the dead, suddenly these cowards turn into men. They weren't even expecting the resurrection. And these men that went and hid, now they're in the streets. They're proclaiming that Jesus is risen from the tomb. And listen to me. Crazy thing is, they didn't teach His parables. They didn't teach the teachings that Jesus said. Because if you read the book of Acts, after the resurrection... They went into the streets of Jerusalem and they had a simple four-point message. They preached this over and over again. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now say you're sorry. Seriously. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now repent of your sins and say you're sorry. So for me, the reason this is the best weekend, and for those that may be considering the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus that solves history's greatest mystery. How did the church survive? How did this movement keep going? well past the 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd, 4th, 5th century? Why is the third of the world, the population, saying we believe in Jesus? It's not because a group of people got together and said we got to keep the teaching in circulation because when Jesus died, the movement died with it. What re-engaged the followers of Jesus was they saw the living Savior. They saw the resurrection of Christ. And not only does that solve history's greatest mystery, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more important because then it proves the crucifixion that only Jesus could die on the cross and take away the sins of the world. So here's what it means for me. And here's what it could mean for you. If you're a Christian, your hope is not in vain. It means when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, that meant He is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus told us the truth. And Easter is not a lie. And if you believe it, you will be in heaven one day. And here is why I believe Jesus is telling the truth. You really want to know? Okay, I'll tell you. If a man can predict his death, and predict his resurrection and then pull it off I'm going to follow that man wherever he goes seriously if he can say I'm going to die but baby I'm going to rise again 
and he pulls it off, I got to follow somebody like that. So no matter how bad your church experience has been, no matter how crooked all the Christians you know are, no matter how you saw your Christian mother and father treat you and the hypocrisy in their life, and no matter how many unanswered prayers you've walked in this room with today, no matter how many times you feel like the big guy upstairs has disappointed me again, I would say to you this Easter, give Jesus a try. Not because of what he taught, but first and foremost, because he claimed to have died for your sins. Secondly, because he rose from the tomb. And not only did his followers see him, but history books tell you that after he had risen, 500 people saw him walking around. And to top that off, listen to me. The people re-engaged with his message after the resurrection. But listen to me. Most of them died. The people that re-engaged with his uh, message after the resurrection, they are dead. And that is so very important. Because listen, they did not die for what they believed. Huh? Let me say it again. They did not die for what they believe. Because people die for what they believe all the time. Look at all these marchings we have. People will get out there and march for anything. Let's save the crickets. Let's march for that. I believe in that. They'll do anything that they believe in. They died for what they saw. Are you hearing me? They died for what they believed they saw. And they saw a resurrected Savior. So some of you in here today, you're on the fence. I get it. You've been thinking about it. You've been considering it. I just want you to know there is no better time than now. So I'd like you to follow me in a prayer. This prayer does not make you a Christian. Your faith in the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and that He is at the right hand of the Father... That makes you a Christian. The prayer is simply expressing to God, I believe that your son is Jesus. I believe that when he died, he died for my personal sin. So I'm transferring all of my trust in me, all of my trust in mama, all my trust in daddy, all my trust in my bank account, all my trust in my wisdom and knowledge because it's so huge. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it over and I'm trusting in you because I'm trusting on what you did on my behalf and I'm placing my faith in a man that can forgive all of my sins and listen to me scripture says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in his ideas no whoever believes in his teachings no. Anybody who believes in the revolutionary thoughts. No. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, Jesus, will not perish, but gain and receive eternal life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. 
I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to see a hand. They would say, Pastor, you know what? I don't know what it is about you, what you said today, but you know what? It makes sense. And I want to give my life to Jesus. You've walked in this room today. You, you just thought you were coming to get some pictures made and a little funny little service and on your way to eat. But God is arresting your heart. I'll say it again. If a man can predict his death and resurrection and pull it off, i got to put my faith in that man. If you're in this room and you don't know where you would go today if you were to die, but you want to be sure of heaven and you want a relationship with Jesus, could you just quickly slip up your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. That's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. I see that hand. Anybody else? Thank you. I see that hand in the back. I see that hand, sir. Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? I want to give my life to... I see that hand, young man. Very good. I want to give my life to Jesus. I see that hand in the back. Anybody else? I want to give my life... I see that hand. I see that hand, sir. Thank you for coming for pictures. God's arrest your heart. Anybody else? I, I want to give my life to the risen Savior. Who is it in this place that wants to be sure of heaven? Anybody else? Amen. Could you stand all over your feet in this place? We're about to celebrate. Because people gave their life to Jesus in this place. Amen. So those of you that raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Because the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you shall be saved. So let's pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Make me a Christian. I believe in you. I accept you today as my Lord and Savior. Help me to follow you in all of your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Can we erupt in praise again?